Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today, I'm very excited to have Deb Calvert back on the show. Deb, welcome back. Henry, thank you. I love what you're doing here. It's a thrill to be back. Thanks. Thanks for being with us again. And um, lots of reasons why we've had you back, but one of them is your latest book. And so we're going to chat about that in a moment. But for our listeners who might not be familiar with Deb, let me give you a quick background on her. Uh, Deb is the president and founder of People First Productivity Solutions, and that's uh, her consulting and training firm. And they, um, they help build organizational strength by putting people first. That's one of their big focuses. Deb's work includes leadership programs, design and facilitation, strategic planning with executive teams, team eff- effectiveness work, and sales productivity solutions. Deb is a certified master of the leadership challenge and is certified as an executive coach by the Center for Executive Coaching and the International Coaching Federation. Uh, Deb's first book, also based on a lot of buyer research, was the bestseller, Discover Questions Get You Connected. And it was named by HubSpot as one of the top 25 most highly rated sales books of all time. Her latest book, which we're going to chat about today, and I had the pleasure of getting an advanced copy and reading, is Stop Selling and Start Leading, How to Make Extraordinary Sales Happen. Uh, So we had the pleasure of chatting with Deb, as I alluded to, on a previous episode. That's back in episode 93 of The How of Business. And it's still one of our most popular episodes, one of the most downloads we've had for an episode. And in that episode, we dove into this whole topic of sales leaderships and a lot of the stuff from her initial book and just her experiences with working in sales enablement. So I'm excited to dive in now again in this episode. We're going to skip the typical entrepreneurial journey because you can listen to Deb's interesting story back in episode 93. And instead, we're going to get right into it, which is the book. I'm going to have her introduce the book and why she wrote it. But then I'm going to dive into a particular section because we can't cover all of it. That's why you read the book. But a particular uh, interest to, to me was a section on buyer enablement. And we'll have her explain what that is and chat about that. So with all that said, once again, Deb Calvert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. All right. So uh, let's get right into it. The book is Stop Selling and Start Leading, How to Make Extraordinary Sales Happen. So tell us about that. What led you to write it? And who is it? Who did you write it for? Hmm. Well, my bio that you were reading, every time I hear it, I remember that it's so... um, piecemeal. It's got things from all these different worlds. And that's how this book came to be is because I actually do work in these two different worlds. I've always worked in sales and I've worked in leadership development for going on 20 years. And I I kept them separate. So sometimes I'd wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning and I'd be like, oh, yeah, today is a sales day. And then other days I'd be going with the client and I'd say, okay, got to get my leadership cap on today. But one day, a couple years ago, I just, I had this hunch, this, this, beginnings of of a feeling, a hypothesis, that maybe there wasn't such a separation as I was putting into the mix. Maybe leadership in sales, and I don't mean leadership of sales managers, I mean Mm -hmm. leadership for frontline salespeople, maybe that would make a difference to buyers. So that's where I started. 
And because I am a certified master with the Leadership Challenge, that's a, a body of work that's been developed by the world's foremost experts on leadership, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, I went to them with, with this theory. And all of their work is about what makes someone a leader who others choose to willingly follow. So just for background, um, you know, they, they've been at this a long time. They have, they have over 30 years of research, more than 1.6 million participants in their research instrument known as uh, the Leadership Practices Inventory. And they've wrote, written dozens of books and articles. And then there are other people's research, academic research that affirms all of their conclusions. So I knew that that was solid. And I wondered if those proven leadership behaviors, the ones that are evidence-based, if sellers were to adopt those behaviors, what would happen? Right. Okay. So we then conducted a research project with 530 B2B buyers and 500 sellers. And this book is the outcome of all of that. It's a behavioral blueprint for sellers based on buyer desires. Mm -hmm. And there's a bonus to it, Henry. It's, it's also a book that helps sellers discover the very best of themselves and to bring that out as they lead. And again, I have to reiterate what I mean by lead, that has nothing at all to do with job title or authority. To lead means to guide and to take people to exciting new places. And leadership is, it's an affair of the heart. It's about inspiring, enabling, challenging, and encourage others as you model the way for them. So this book is written for sellers who want to be more effective and are willing to tweak their behaviors in a way that buyers will respond to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a, you know, as I was sitting here listening to you, I'm trying to reconcile it because, of course, again, we have these preconceived ideas of those terms and we often don't combine it unless we're talking about you're running a sales organization and you're leading that team of salespeople. Well, when it comes to our interactions as salespeople, we don't think of ourselves as, or we don't think of leadership as having anything to do with it, right? Right. Unfortunately, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, I'm sure it's in part because, and again, not not all sales is like this. I've done high level sales just like you have. And we are looking for win-win situations. But the reality is at the end of the day, we're trying to influence others to maybe make a decision that they are not quite ready to make or not completely sure about making. And so it's more about influence uh, and um, those types of tactics. Leadership usually doesn't come in even to the thought process. No. And surprisingly, that, that's true for a, a lot of roles in any organization. People forget that leadership is everyone's business and, and that we all have opportunities to lead. Mm -hmm. Somehow we think that's reserved for a titled few at the top of the org chart. And that's unfortunate because organizations yeah. and people miss out. I think we also assume that that's, it's about building a team that we, we can't lead someone that doesn't work for us or with us. And that, and that we can't lead buyers, I think is where maybe we struggle with it as well. But it turns out that's exactly what buyers want us to do. So not only can we, but we should because they are waiting for us. That they want to have a connecting experience with us. And we asked them in our survey, we asked them about each of these behaviors. There are 30 of them. They, they're rolled up into five practices. And we asked them, would you be more likely to meet with a seller who exhibited this behavior? And in mm -hmm. all 30, the answer, absolutely yes. Would you be more likely to buy from a seller who exhibited this behavior? And again, the resounding yes for all 30 behaviors, any of them. 
And we then, uh, we, we asked them, okay, for these sellers that you're all, who are already calling on you, because these are professional buyers, those people who already call on you, how frequently do they exhibit each of these behaviors? And then what would be the ideal frequency? And across the board, every one of them would like to see even more frequency of all these behaviors than they're seeing even from the sellers they choose to do business with today. Mm -hmm. And so these are the, the behaviors that you attribute to leaders. Share with us a few of those behaviors so I can better understand, again, what we're talking about leadership, what that means in this context. You bet. So when we break it right down into behaviors, some of them are going to be very obvious, like, like treat others with dignity and respect. It's a big one, just to treat others with dignity and respect. That's practically the, the price of admission when it comes to a buyer-seller relationship. Some of them are a, a little bit less obvious. Uh, things like having a two-way dialogue instead of the seller only asking questions or only telling answers. That it, even our needs assessment needs to be more dialogic and buyers respond more favorably when we create opportunities for that two-way dialogue. Mm -hmm. So it, it, discrete behaviors that are very uh, replicatable. In fact, you just choose. It, there aren't special skills here. There certainly aren't uh, special characteristics like uh, charisma. Leaders just make choices to behave in certain ways more often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you talk about the questions. That's a lot of what you cover a lot of that in your first book, Discover Questions, and how those powerful questions lead to this. Um, I've often, I was told very early on in my sales career that still stays with me to this day that people will judge you by the types of questions that you ask. And that's, I think, critical in that buyer-seller relationship, isn't it? I think so. Uh, it boils down to really good questions, prove that you are interested. And it, we do need to be interested more than we need to be interesting at the beginning of a, any relationship. Right. All right. So this, this touches on where I wanted to dive in, which is practice number four in the book. Like you said, it's organized by practices and I love that, that structure to it. And that's enable others to act. Um, and one of the key concepts in there that you talk about is buyer enablement versus sales enablement. So buyer enablement versus sales enablement. Explain to me at a high level the difference between the two. Okay. So yeah, it's a buzzword. We all hear about sales enablement, which just means inside sales organizations that we're making sellers able. They get training, they get coaching, they get tools and technology and systems that enable them to do a better job of selling. But nobody thinks about enabling buyers. In fact, just the opposite. We we might even accidentally disable buyers because we're trying to do so much for them and then foist our solution on them, but they haven't had a chance to be a part of co-creating it. They haven't contributed the insights or put their own imprint on the solution, which mm -hmm. means they don't have buy-in. Right. And we can be very, very good at that, right? If we're good salespeople, we're very good at... I, want to, I don't want to use the word manipulating, but at guiding people, whether they're ready or not, to make a decision, right? Yes, absolutely. It's not what buyers want, though. No, it's not. Yeah. So tell us more about that. Well, buyers. So out of these five practices where we rolled up these behaviors, this one being the fourth that we talk about in the book, uh, these five practices of exemplary leadership come out of Barry and Jim's research all those years uh, and since. And this one is all about giving people an opportunity to participate to collaborate, to find 
some of the answers for themselves and to have their voices be heard as contributors to decisions that are made. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that from a leader perspective, say manager to subordinate, of course, we have to um, let people have opportunities to to learn, to grow, to try, to fail, to pick it up and, and try again. It makes sense when we think about it in that context. But it's not one that makes as much sense when we think about sellers enabling buyers to act. In fact, sellers often think that this is going to be a very low priority of buyers. But this particular practice is the number one out of all five. It is the one by far that buyers want most of all from sellers. Mm -hmm. Now, how do I reconcile, Deb, that what, part of what I hear here is that this is going to potentially take more time. And the last thing I want as a salesperson is to extend my sales cycle. So how do you reconcile those two things? Actually, you're going to be speeding up your sales cycle. If you think about what's happening in your sales cycle right now, the continuances you get, the number of, of times you have to try to reconnect with the buyer, the amount of time it takes even to crack through and, and get initial appointments with them, right, we can shave a lot of that wasted time, that unproductive time out of your sales cycle. Because when we are positioning ourselves as leaders, when we're differentiating ourselves in this way with these behaviors that buyers are just waiting for, they're craving from sellers, we're in the door faster, we're expediting the sales cycle, we're getting better decisions faster, and it's doing different things. It's not doing more things. Okay. All right. I, I can buy that. All right. Part of it then is uh, you talk about one of the concepts that really stood out to me is about being first to trust um, and I, and I, I get the whole trust model and how to, how to get better at that. But it, sometimes this whole being first to trust, why, why do you think we're hesitant to do so as salespeople? Is it, is it part of what you talk about in the book that we've been told forever that buyers will always lie to you? Where, where does this come from that is such a challenge for us to trust first as salespeople? Yeah, let me, let me elevate that and then come back more specifically to your answer. It's all about relationships. Leadership is a relationship. Selling is a relationship. The relationships that we have anywhere in our life have a component in them of trust, and there's no relationship without trust. Well, buyers aren't going to trust us. Right? They, they, they can't. There are too many negative stereotypes, too much risk for being taken advantage of. So buyers aren't willing to extend trust. That means it is up to us as sellers. But you're right. A lot of sellers don't trust. In fact, last year at the auto show, there was uh, the number one obstacle when they researched auto dealers and GMs, the number one obstacle to selling more cars, they said, was this. Buyers are liars. <laughs> That's the number one obstacle. But I, I don't know where you go from there because that was from the seller. That was from the, the auto seller's perspective, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, all that is, is um, a lot of mutual sus suspicion and that, that can't evolve into trust. So we've got to be the ones. Buyers won't do it despite our feelings that um, we buyers are holding back or that buyers have a hidden agenda or that buyers are only trying to get a price quote from us so that they can go beat up their vendor. Whatever it is that's with causing us to withhold trust, We've got to be willing to take risks and be more vulnerable if we want to build a relationship and let our buyers feel valued. 
extending trust is something that, that leaders do. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of how I do that, especially early on with a new prospect. You start by assuming the best of others. And then you listen to their point of view. You consider their input. You validate their decisions and their thought processes. That doesn't mean you validate the purchases that they're making that, that you would like to see shifted. But there are other decisions. There are other thought processes that go in there. And there is something trustworthy. If nothing else, you can trust that they know more about their own business than you do. So whatever trust you can latch on to and dignify and show them that, that you're working within that, you're building and you're going to have some foundation now to guide them somewhere new. Yeah. And you talk about in a book that, that uh, quote, sellers often miss opportunities to create a sense of we are all in this together and how critical that is to facilitating these relationships. What are some other tips and advice to, to creating that feeling of we're in this together and to break down that wall, as we've talked about, that's naturally there initially, that it's adversarial, that, it's, that it has to somehow be win-lose, but that's in fact not the case, right? Yeah, I think we have to remember that, that trust is, by its very nature, reciprocal. All of us. Think about the person that you trust in your life, and you trust them partly because they trust you. And we mistrust those who are unwilling to trust us. So if we want to be trusted, we first trust. And then our buyers reciprocate. They return some of our trust and it continues to build from there. And that's how we're in it together. Mm -hmm. It's adversarial so long as we are boxing the buyer into some place over there and we're thinking about ourselves over here and not willing to, to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing. And often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. All right. Uh, there's a great story, a lot of great stories, but a great story in the book on this, in this section, in this chapter on a salesperson who declined a pilot project. Now, I thought maybe if you could share that story, summarize it would be a great uh, takeaway here to talk about. Yeah, you must be talking about um, Diana Gern's story. It is a good one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, the book is full of stories from sellers. We asked sellers to contribute stories of when they were at their personal best in selling. And this was the one that came from Diana. Uh, the situation was she worked in pretty high stakes, high dollar sell selling enterprise software solutions. She was dealing with a Fortune 100 company. And so this is, you know, there's a lot of magnitude here. And she was, um, had pitched the solution and the procurement team at her client came back and they had a decision to go forward. They wanted to buy, but they also had a mandate. They, they were told they had to start with a pilot program at 10% of the price that Diana had proposed. So if you think about what usually happens here, uh, you know, we might go back high-fiving and, and celebrating that we, we got in the door. 
And Diana did not do that. Instead, Mm -hmm. she rejected the deal. She took the deal off the table. She said to them, well, okay, it's no problem if your company's not willing to make the full investment. But we know that pilot programs rarely work because the customers aren't all in when they do a pilot program. But we are, we are all in. So when you feel like you're ready to make the full investment and enjoy the full benefits, I'll be here. So she she demonstrated her really uh, deep commitment, her unwillingness to do something that would not be right for the buyer, something that she didn't think would work to serve their purposes. And because she knew they saw value of, in the product, otherwise they wouldn't have even done the pilot, right? she, she wanted them to understand that what they would accomplish would have to be accomplished with an all-in from both of them. Mm-hmm. She got some pushback. It sounds like this. It sounds like there was uh, some pushback in, internally. Her CEO got involved at one point, and she held her ground. And eventually, th- they came around. So I think her story. Yeah, I mean, her story just shows us it's all in. It's all together. Right. Yeah, and a great point on on the internal pressure that she got because talk about leadership internally. That did take some leadership for her to get the support to say, "Yeah, let's let's do that because that's the right thing to do." Versus let's just get whatever we can out of this and get them on the hook and then we'll get more money out of them later kind of approaches, which which is what typically we might do. Um, how do you think that as an example where she said, no, that's not the right thing to do based on our experience. It's not going to give you the results you want. How, how do you think that then enabled the buyer there? Was it in how she was helping them see that it was going to be the wrong decision for them also? Yes. And so the context of of this story is that uh, buyers really want to know that we have their best interests at heart. So you were talking about building trust. That's one way we demonstrate our trustworthiness is to let others, our buyers, know that we have their best interests at heart and that we aren't going to take the money and run. Uh, We're not going to just make the quick sale and, and, and then dash off to the next customer. So buyers are enabled when they see our commitment and are therefore able to make their commitment based on that that foundation of trust. Yeah. All right. The other thing that, that stood out to me was the uh, the Chipotle analogy that I'll have you walk through as it serves to help explain this transferring of power and decision-making authority to the buyer, or at least so that it's joint. And that, I think, is at the heart of this buyer enablement concept, I think. Okay. Um before I talk about Chipotle, let me again elevate to something else, which is a big part of this research, a big part of what buyers are telling us is that they want the opportunity to participate in creating what they want. They, they right. want their hands in, their imprint on whatever solutions we create. And that mm-hmm. comes from the B2C space. Our, you know, We're all consumers too, not just B2B buyers. In the consumer space, customer experience has become very important, and many, many businesses offer opportunities. Think about Build-A-Bear Workshop, DIY workshops at Home Depot, uh, the American doll stores. There's there's a lot of places you go and and you make your own something. Chipotle is one of them. So the story in the book about Chipotle is with one of the people who makes burritos, and all day long, she takes orders as people come down the counter and she customizes the burritos 
to exactly what they want. This time they want it in a salad bowl. That time they want a little more salsa. This time, you know, I, I think I'll just have beans, no meat. It, whatever is on your mind, whatever mood you're in, you are participating in creating exactly the burrito that you want to have. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is good. From a consumer standpoint, we like that. It's why Chipotle, despite some of its uh, challenges and, and, and favorable news stories, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why their business continues to thrive. Right. But this particular burrito maker, she noticed something that she told us about. And what she noticed is that day after day, burrito after burrito, you could have an infinite number of combinations, but people really don't. That there are more burritos that are basically the same than there are burritos that are dramatically different. And then that begs the question then, well, then why doesn't burrito just, uh, uh, Chipotle just put up a burrito menu that has maybe 12 different kinds of burritos and you could pick one of those and it would be pretty close to, to what you wanted. And the reason they don't is because that would take away the entire experience. It would destroy their business model because we as consumers would not feel enabled. We wouldn't feel like we were in control. We wouldn't have the power and the decision-making authority that we feel as we're going down that burrito line. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt here, Deb, because to continue with that analogy, and then, and then we'll bring it back to how do I apply that directly to a, a real B2B sales, but there's in where I live in the Dallas area, there was a competitor to Chipotle that has since failed. And what they tried to do was what you were alluding to. When you walked in, they had a menu of about 10 burritos. They had different names to it, you know, funny names to them. And they had already were selected for you. And what I observed thinking back to it now is that it was actually more confusing because it wasn't exactly what I wanted. So I spent all this time trying to decide, was that really a fit for me? Or maybe I didn't want quite that. And I can immediately see now how that translates into and uh, relates to the question I had asked before about slowing down the sales cycle. That now that you took away my ability to choose and customize, it actually slowed down the decision process for me. And I felt like I wasn't going to get what I want. Right. So you leave only partly satisfied. Correct. And you go somewhere else next time, probably to Chipotle. Right. So let's translate that further then. And I'm sure that's where you were going to when we're talking about now the real world that we're in and selling something B2B or B2C. Um, why it is that even buyers in that environment, they're, they're looking for the same thing, right? Yes, because let's face it, there are so many options out there and buyers have the right to be demanding. They have the right to, uh, and, and they take that right, to ask for more. Now, they don't even know sometimes what the more is. It's an intangible, but it's often measured in the experience they have. And part of the experience is that they make it their own. And making it your own fires in your brain. It fires what's known as euphoria. That's no different than retail therapy back in the B2C space. When we find something or create something or begin to think about owning something that is special and the experience makes it extra special, we have a sense of euphoria. And that causes us to want to buy. It causes us to be willing to work hard to make sacrifices to have something. And by the way, we yeah. need our buyers to work hard and make sacrifices for all that internal selling they're, they're going to have to do in their organizations. 
Sure. Yeah. Okay. So again, I come back to though, how, um, from a seller's organization perspective and you work, you've worked with a lot of them, whether it's B2B or B2C, how they reconcile then the, 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 the organizations that do this well, which you teach and, and the research teaches, of course, as well. How do they reconcile not getting to a point where everything is customizable and therefore it makes it impossible or much more difficult to deliver that solution or product, but yet strike a balance here to what we're talking about? How, how do you reconcile those two? Am I asking that clearly enough? Absolutely. So no different than Chipotle. You make it multiple choice. Here are the options. Which ones do you want? And mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, if you think about auto aftermarket, this might be m- more helpful, right? We all buy a standard car, right? But our car is personalized by what happens with the options we choose at the dealership, or maybe the the wheels we go out and buy afterwards. You get to pick some of the add-ons, and you get to pick the color, and you get to pick the delivery date, and you get to pick how you're going to pay for it. You, there are many variables in there, not an infinite number. We're not customizing from scratch every time, but we are, we're guided into some of the options that are available to us. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. All right. So again, we've been diving in on this concept of enabling others to act, namely our, our buyers. We've talked about, we started at the outset with the, the role of leadership and how important that is in leading in this relationship. Uh, we talk about trust and being first to trust, uh, facilitating these relationships. And then we've been talking about empowering and, and giving that decision-making power to our buyers. Uh, the other three things that stood out that I wanted to start to wrap it up with, you said be available, responsive, and respectful. And those three things also how important they are to buyer enablement. So let's talk about that a little bit. I think they're obvious, but I want to make sure I understand clearly what your perspective is on them. Is being available the the traditional thing I would think about, which is to being responsive, being available to them, but it's more than that, right? What do you mean by being available? It, it doesn't mean that you pick up the phone every time it rings. It means right. that you are present when you have conversations. And it means this, the number one behavior out of all 30, it's an enabling behavior. And it is that when your buyer asks you questions, you will give answers. You, mm-hmm. you answer the questions in a way that's relevant and timely for them, including when they ask about price, even if they ask about price prematurely and value is not on the table yet, you are able to not dismiss the question or ignore it, but that you dignify it and let them know that that you are hearing what they're asking and that you're coming back to, to be able to answer that soon. And then you do. You're respectful and responsible for uh, coming back to that answer. So available means present. It means that you are um, able to, to get to where they are not physically, but mentally, understanding what they are looking for because of that two-way dialogue and you're answering their questions and um, and teaming up with them, being there for them, having their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And then I think you've touched on responsive and respectful, but anything there that uh, is not obvious? Yeah, I'll add one more thing. This is about everybody in your buyer's organization. We heard a lot of stories, and one of the ones that um, came up a, f- a few times was that sellers treat decision makers differently than they treat, say, gatekeepers or receptionists. That that counts, uh, and buyers do notice, 
and they, mm -hmm. especially early in a relationship, they are watching every move that we make. So everybody in the buyer's organization gets treated in a respectful way. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a huge takeaway. I've learned that lesson the hard way in my past as well. And that's that's such an important takeaway uh, is to treat everybody in the process respectfully. All right. So is there anything else that I didn't ask about that stands out glaringly as it relates to our conversation here on this one practice of enabling others to act? Is there any other major takeaways that we should chat about here before we start moving on? Well, yeah, when it comes to enabling others to act, that also extends not just your, your buyers, but to other people in your organization, right? Leaders, okay. leaders are guiding people all over the place and buyers are looking for you to, to make the way easy for them inside your organization. So you also have to enable your partners who are going to help fulfill the order. So these are relevant with buyers and with internal partners too. So immediately when you say that, what pops into my head is, okay, but I don't want to lose control. If I do, if I am partnering or if I've got other people on my team and I'm, I'm the lead salesperson, I'm always worried about control, right? So how do I balance that? Yeah, that's a, a fundamental leap for leaders because leaders build other leaders around them and they do trust others with the work and they enable others so that they don't uh, micromanage the work. So if people don't know how to do it the way you want it done, that means you teach them. It means you work alongside them until they get it so that you're freed up to do other kinds of, of work, probably selling. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you are not resourced in such a way that you feel that you can trust people, well, that's, that's a conversation that you have to have because if you are doing all of the work and not allowing anyone else, not enabling anyone else to do it, you're just immediately limiting yourself. Leadership is not a solo act. Yeah. And in particular, since most of our listeners like myself are small business owners, so we're not talking about who we're talking to, not large sales organizations. We are either a one man or a one woman show or a small team, or often we are partnering with other organizations on a particular opportunity, particularly or maybe specifically in the B2B space. So I think that these, these key principles have become even more important in that type of an arena where we don't as small business owners have to worry about the politics of a large sales organization, right? We got to think about what's best for our business and how do we have successful customers and clients. You bet. So let the accountant and bookkeeper do that work. You don't have to take probably as many steps as you're taking as a small business owner. Let mm. your vendors do some of the work. Um, maybe they're going to, if you have a, a retail shop, ask them to, to set up the display. A anything and everything that you can enable other people to do helps you to form partnerships and, and also helps you to have more time. But here's another truth. Oftentimes, all those folks that could be doing a little bit for you, they, they might even be better at it than you are. So right. how can you loosen up some some control and bring others in to help you? Yeah. Doesn't it also often, I'm when curious in your research and experience, from a buyer's perspective, if they're hearing that same unified message, it might be slightly different, or sometimes there's a disconnect minor one, but when they hear a unified message from myself, from my staff, from my peers, from my partners, the trust level has to go up, I have to think. It does. 
And if the trust is broken, if there's a fracture from something that's happened in the past, we've got to work to repair that. It's not, um, it's not sustainable to have a lack of trust between people who need to work together. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you for taking all of those questions, Deb, and clarifying all that for me. Um, we chatted about it in the last call, but things have evolved and changed. Tell us today what uh, you focus on and what are the services and products that you offer your clients? Yeah. So People First Productivity Solutions, we've been in business now going on 12 years. We were founded because I really wanted to see more organizations putting people first before profit even, before paperwork, before processes, because it takes people to do anything. Whatever you're looking to accomplish, you have to be able to rely on people. So we offer management training in English and Spanish. We offer sales productivity solutions to help organizations, including small businesses, uh, ramp up their sales. And we work in the leadership development space to improve employee engagement and to help people find their own voice and strength as leaders. What are you enjoying most about what you do today? I enjoy when there's a breakthrough for someone as an individual leader. That could be a salesperson. It could be a business owner. It could be uh, somebody coming out of college. But when people first discover themselves as leaders and they fully step into their leadership potential, their, their lives change. Their businesses mm -hmm. change. And it is just amazing to me to watch that happen. Yeah, that's wonderful. All right. We've been talking about uh, your latest book, which again is entitled Stop Selling and Start Leading, How to Make Extraordinary Sales Happen. And so great read. I've had the chance to read it, as I mentioned at the outset, recommended to all of my listeners. Uh, but as far as books go, I'm always curious as to what you've read recently or reading currently. Last time you were on, you recommended a couple of great books. You recommended Learning Leadership and the Age of the Customer. Is there another book or a tool or resource that comes to mind that you would recommend? Well, there are two that are really relevant to this conversation. I mentioned one, uh, The Leadership Challenge by Jim Cousis and Barry Posner. That is for anybody who wants to be more effective, who, who wants people to more willingly choose to follow them. It's about the five practices of exemplary leadership. It's about liberating the leader inside yourself. And the other one uh, that, that's relevant to sales is called The Perfect Close, that's by James Muir. It's, it's relevant here because the methods and approach that he talks about are very enabling and very inclusive of the buyer. Wonderful. Great suggestions uh, and recommendations, rather. We'll have that as well as a link to your book on the show notes page for this episode at our website at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up here, Deb. Last question, last thought or something I didn't ask about or Anything else you'd like to share with us, especially in this topic that we focused in on uh, enabling others and enabling buyers? Anything else you'd like to share with us on that? Yeah, let's call this one a stretch assignment. So in addition to enabling your buyers, getting them more involved, uh, I think it's also important for people who sell to ennoble themselves, to make noble, to understand the worth and the value of what you bring to people when you sell. And that is, um, that's, that's mental prep. It includes how you see yourself how you position yourself, and how you conduct yourself. People who conduct themselves as leaders using leadership behaviors automatically feel ennobled. They, they know the work that they're doing matters. Hmm. And that, 
and that then ends up being long term why they're then successful is what you found as well, isn't it, in your research? Absolutely. Wonderful. All right, where would you like us to go online to find out more about you and your company? Well, the, the book is at www.stopsellingstartleading.com. And my company website, if you're looking for anything besides the book, is People first, PS, the two words people first are spelled out. PS stands for productivity solutions. So peoplefirstps.com. Great. And again, if you didn't get a chance to write that down, we'll have all those links on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com. Wonderful. Deb, this has been a great conversation once again. I think this will be a popular episode just like the previous one was. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. Thanks for spending the time with us and sharing your knowledge today. Thank you, Henry. It is truly an honor to be here. And I wish you and your audience much success in the coming year. Thank you. appreciate that. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. My guest again was Deb Calvert. And thank you for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release episodes every Monday morning, and you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and out our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.